if you have the wealth of time and you invest that time into knowledge, experience, and activities to create wealth, then you'll be successful. Many people are under the mantra that they don't have time. And so let's discuss that. What if you could reclaim hours of free time each week, create legacy building wealth, and devote more energy to your passion projects without giving up on your career as a life-saving MD? Dr. Vikram Raya is a functional cardiologist, high-performance coach, and real estate expert, is here to give you the tools, strategies, and solutions you need to transform your life, unlock your limitless potential, and achieve greatness, all while freeing up your precious time. Welcome to Limitless MD. Let's dive in. What does it take to become a medical millionaire, and why do most physicians struggle with financial success and financial freedom. I'm going to uncover all of that and much, much more in my presentation, Rich Doctor, Poor Doctor. Let's get started. All right, the title of my presentation is called Rich Doctor, Poor Doctor, Five Critical Strategies to Becoming a Medical Millionaire. So, you know, people are seeing me now and, you know, they're like, hey, how did you achieve this kind of success? You're a physician, but I see you're taking a lot of trips. You seem to spend a lot of time with your children. Um, you seem to have more abundance than you when you were practicing. How, how did this all happen? And so I want to share with you, even though this is what you're seeing now, this is not where I started. And really to understand the crux of the matter, we need to understand why doctors feel poor. So I'm going to really discuss that. Then we're going to talk about how to reverse engineer financial freedom. I'm going to discuss the Rolls-Royce Rolex wealth paradox. I'll show you even while you're in residency or in medical school, you can start accumulating the key thing that makes all wealthy people in the world successful and powerful. It's asset accumulation. Then we'll talk about income versus net worth versus cash flow. And then finally, we'll discuss how to become a time architect so you can actually fit all this in and ignite your wealth machine. And then finally, as a bonus, I'm going to show you how to become a level five elite investor who can actually create their own investments that other people invest in. All right. The average hourly rate for physicians is $87 an hour, right? This is, if you take into account 12 years of you know, middle school, high school, elementary school, all of that. You take four years of college, four years of medical school, three years of residency, and two years of uh, fellowship. That's 25 years of education. The other uncomfortable truth is doctors have a poverty mindset, right? And it's because most of them have come from lack, from scarcity, from a belief system that there was not enough money in the world. And also in the medical industry, this is propagated by just how we're paid as salaries, uh, by emphasis on hours per dollars. The more input you put in, the more output you get. And also for much of a physician's life, they did not have much, right? I mean, unless they came from affluent parents, they probably did not have a silver spoon in their mouth. And so for them, they've learned to delay gratification until early to mid-30s. 
So for the whole first third of their life, they're not used to having any money. And so the first glimpses of money and the first powerful income can really unsettle them if they do not know what they're doing. And so here is why doctors feel poor despite high income. Only 11% of doctors, according to a recent survey, consider themselves to be rich, right? And 45% of doctors agree that, yes, my income probably qualifies me as rich, but I have so many debts and expenses, I don't feel rich. Most physicians I know, they're actually declining their income annually because of reimbursement cuts and and government regulations and the economy. There is a jealousy and sort of a rumbling and a competition between low-income specialties and high-income specialties, right? There's increased regulation going on and documentation and bureaucracy that many physicians are saying it's taking the joy out of medicine. You have these, you know, accountable care organization insurance, hospital reimbursements affecting pay, and people have to practice defensive medicine sometimes to avoid mal- malpractice claims, right? And so what is a traditional doctor to do? Well, he takes traditional advice. Put money in IRA or 401k, pay off debt, right? That's the number one thing. Oh, pay off all your debt. Max out on retired tax-deferred plan. Get a health savings account. Let's do this really cool thing, a backdoor Roth IRA, a 529 plan. Um, let's make a big down payment on a house, right? Because the house is a mortgage deduction. Let's pay off all student debt. All right, now that you're free, let's put the rest of your money in bonds and stocks and pray that the market will work with us. I want to ask you, if you wanted financial freedom, what does that look like to you? Do you know number? Do you know what that feels like? What is your income? What is your cash flow? Do you know how we're going to get there? Is your current strategy enough? Right? And so I've talked to so many people and I've overall figured out there's these sort of eight levels of financial freedom. You know, level one, paycheck to paycheck. Level two, you're starting to get at least enough money to quit your job, maybe just for a bit. Level three, you're enough to be financially happy and still save. So you have a job, perhaps your spouse has a job, you're putting money aside and you're having a little bit of a nest egg, but there's no shortcut to retirement and you got to work otherwise you don't able to make ends meet finally level four financial freedom in my opinion is where you have a little bit of free time so that means you're working four days a week three days a week perhaps you have maybe a couple of streams of income and you're doing well level five is hey i've done well enough to where if i downsize i can have a basic retirement early Meaning, in my 40s, maybe 50s, I can live you know, in a different country where the cost of living is less. My kids can go to a public, edu- public school for education you know, or a local community college. I rent or I have a very small house that's paid off, and I'm living a decent retirement. So that's level five. If you're listening to this conversation, I'm assuming you don't want levels one through five at this point. You're looking for something more. <laughs> so what's level six? This is you can retire well. You can maintain your affluent lifestyle even in retirement and you're doing great, right? 
That means you can travel four or five vacations a year. You ha- your house is paid off or you downsize into a luxury condo and you're, and you're doing things. Kids are in great schools and colleges. You're healthy and active. This is where 98% of people stop. There's two more levels. And if you're interested, I can share with you what they are. Level seven is enough for a dream of retirement. And this was what I really want for you guys. This is where, you know, you spending a month in the Galapagos, you're doing charitable work anywhere in the world, you're making big checks to charity. Um, you're actually living better than when you were in your regular years. And in fact, you're not spending your retirement money because every time you spend it, it keeps filling up because you have multiple streams of income. Your net worth is high enough. Your cash flow is high enough. Your annual income is robust enough. You can still help your aging parents, your your children, your new grandchildren that are coming online. Everything you can do and not have to think about it. And then finally, is there another level, Vikram? Yes, there is. It's level eight. It's having more money than you know what you can ever do with. And spend. this is the Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Zuckerberg levels where they can't spend in a lifetime, right? So what's your level? And it doesn't matter whatever it is, but whatever it is, we can understand it, figure it out, reverse engineer it, and then start advancing toward it. Now you're, you may be thinking, hey, you know, I thought, you know, I, I have two or three million set aside. I'm pretty good, man. I'm I'm a millionaire, but in you know when I'm recording this in 2023, single digit millionaires are still poor. They still clip coupons, and in my opinion, it is still what we call not feeling rich or not feeling wealthy. I suggest aiming for high single figures or even you know a minimum of like 10 million dollars. Now, you're maybe saying, how the hell am I going to get that? That's a lot of money. What are you thinking? I don't need that much. I live more simply. You're you're crazy. And you can still live how you want. But to have that in your bank account gives you peace of mind. It gives you freedom. It gives you comfort. It also makes you more generous. It makes you live abundantly. You're willing to help others out. And money and rich and wealthy. These are all just words. I prefer the word abundance. What abundance means is you have more than enough. That means your cup spilt over and you can give to others. It's hard to feel generous when you're living you know, a small life. So guys, if I can get a pledge from you, let's play above the line, right? I'm, I'm sorry, let's play at levels of six, seven, eight. Here's the line. Either you can play at levels one through five, which means you shouldn't be listening to this <laughs> webinar, or you're ready for level six, seven, eight. And that's where we're going to go next. So are you ready to become a medical millionaire? Let's do it. You want to live like a resident and think like an entrepreneur. So in my opinion, what that means is you can still live below your means, right? Um, as you get old, as you get older, and you get more income, but you gotta think like an entrepreneur. Think in terms of, hey, what else can I do? How else can I add value? What else can I bring to the table? How can I help my organizations, or my own company, or my clinic, or my practice, or my hospital? And the person of value, if he acts, uh, 
let me, let me say that again. If you become a person of value and you do much more than what you're paid for, eventually you'll get paid for much more than you do. So let's talk about living sensibly and be careful of the Rolex and the Rolls-Royce paradox. And I was alluding to this earlier in the presentation. I've lived this, and so I totally get this. But when I, I still remember a story when I was in residency and I had credit card debt and I was accumulating all these things. I was buying things I couldn't afford. And it was because I'm like, oh, man, when I'm a doctor, man, I'm going to make so much money. I don't have to worry. I can pay off all this at that time. So let me just you know, live it up now as a resident or as a fellow. You know, I bought a condo I couldn't afford. I, I, I bought, you know, furnishings for my small little bachelor pad that I couldn't afford. And I was always saying, hey, at some point, you know, I'm going to make all this money as a cardiologist. I'm going to be set. That was the worst way to think. And that's the not the intelligent way an entrepreneur or a wealthy person thinks. So by accumulating significant debt, by indoctrinating into the poverty mindset, by being a renter and not a, a person who owns assets, you're really setting yourself up for once you get the first real job, you're going to buy the doctor house, the doctor car, the luxury clothes, the watches. And so what happens, you appear rich, but you are not rich, right? You're literally accumulating liabilities and debt. And so essentially you got into the rat race and the hamster wheel of the physician and those golden handcuffs that we always want to break are firmly on your wrist and will not come off is there another strategy absolutely you want to accumulate assets yes even while you're in residency this is possible i have seen a select group of people do this and it's amazing how comfortable they are and how how quickly they can get to their financial dreams within a few years of starting their their full-time professional career as a doctor. So the main difference between rich people and poor people is, is number one is cash flow, next is net worth, and next is the hunger to accumulate true assets. So instead of paying rent for four years of medical school, three years of residency, three to five years of fellowship, that's 10 years of being a renter. You can buy a single family home or a duplex. You can borrow the money from people and pay them back, right? But you can essentially have a fully paid off uh, house or a residence by the time you're done. If you buy a duplex, it's even smarter because not only are you going to pay your part off, but this, the other roommate or the other uh, unit can be paid off by somebody else. You can learn to invest in the stock market, right? If you throughout the whole time, if you just spent like an hour a day learning the stock market and the rest of your time studying for medical, medical school and everything else, You'd become a master of the stock market by the time you started uh, your, your private practice, learning to contribute to index funds, crowdfunding in real estate, right? These are where you don't need to be a credit investor. You need to be fancy. There are websites out there like, uh, you know, uh, CrowdStreet, Realty Mogul, uh, Yield Street, and you can just put in small amounts of money and sort of dollar cost average up and you own, you know, pieces of real estate all over the country. You can be an uh, innovator, right? You can come up with an asset or a strategy, like a software or a patent, become an influencer, have a podcast, become an author of a book. You can do research, you can launch a business of some sort, right? An online e-commerce business perhaps. 
what are the barriers to all of this time education right but the rewards are wealth ignition freedom and independence so what are assets assets are real estate stocks and equities intellectual property brand even a tribe or a following like if you have a million instagram followers that's a true asset and you can monetize that then there's uh cryptocurrency uh, there's businesses, right? You can buy a laundromat that's all cash-based and let it accumulate money while you're in medical school, while you're in residency, while you're first year attending. So you don't get rich selling or flipping real estate. You get rich owning real estate, right? And so as you advance in your thought process, it's great to create transactional income, but eventually you want to create perpetual income. And so there's something called the velocity of money. And so you want to look at what we call the rule of 72. So if you take 72 by the rate, interest rate that you're getting on any investment, it'll tell you how many years it takes to double your money. Bank CDs historically have been very, very low. Right now, they're not 1%. You know, they're probably closer to 3 to 4%. So if I put in uh, 72 divided by 4, then you're going to have about 18 years at some point that your money will double. That's a long time. Things such as real estate funds, um, 10% return, you can double your money in seven years. Typical multifamily deal, annual average annual return of 20%, you can double your money in three and a half years, right? In funds, IPO, private equity deals, you know the returns can be up to 30%. You can double your money in two and a half years, right? So obviously, as you go down this ladder of returns, the more risk, the more reward usually. But if you have specialized knowledge that can mitigate the risk in any of these categories and you can still earn the reward. So for example, if you wanna invest in something as simple as a multifamily investment, what are the steps? Well, it's not that complicated, especially if you're a limited partner where you're working with general partners or sponsors to do a deal. You wanna to decide to invest in a real estate syndication, you want to review the investment packet, the video, the uh, all the the data on the deal. Then discuss with your financial advisor, discuss with your family, and if you feel comfortable, fill out the paperwork and reserve your slot in a in something called a soft commit. Uh, you sign a private placement memorandum called a PPM. This is officially saying you're in the deal, and this is your documentation and paperwork. And then finally, you fund the deal. Right, you wire the funds. And typical investments are $25,000 or $50,000. And this is how you join what I call the multifamily passive income trade, right? Now let's talk about income versus wealth. So profits are better than wages. One, because you have power over the profits. Many times wages are relatively fixed. Also in terms of taxation, profits are treated um, in a different way than wages. Wages are salaries, are W-2s, even 1099s. Not much you can do with them. K-1s, you can offset your business expenses, and then what's left over is what you get taxed on, right? And there's a lot of tax loopholes for entrepreneurs, for investors, for real estate folks, while there's limited tax advantages for employed physicians. Why is that? They're, the government and the way they structure the tax code is essentially rewarding people who create jobs, who create businesses, who create momentum, who create velocity, who create wealth, who create abundance. Wages earn a living and they have a fine life, a decent life. 
On the other hand, prophets earn a fortune and they have a super fine life, Jim Rohn, right? So now I'm going to argue that cash flow is better than net worth. Now, ideally, this is not even a choice. You want, you want both. You want a high net worth, high income, high cash flow. But if you had to choose one, cash flow would provide more short-term benefits. Cash pays your regular expenses. Your net worth is not liquid. You know, net worth sort of feeds the ego. You know, cash flow feeds the pocket and the mouth, right? So your net worth can change. You know, it's all paper gains. Until you realize that net worth, it's all theoretical in most cases because asset values can go up or down. Cash flow provides more stability. Cash flow freedom is more enjoyable. You can actually do something with a cash flow. It creates tangible assets. So, I mean, tangible uh, material goods that you can experience. It can create experiences and create services and create products that you can buy. Cash flow essentially allows you to make decisions on what to do on a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year basis. Net flow and, you know, that, that type of metric is more long-term and then again high net worth can be illusion right you, some people can have a billion dollars in a cryptocurrency and the next day the cryptocurrency is wiped out right same thing with like all this money in your multi-million dollar home but it's locked into the home is unless you get a heloc it is hard to unlock that money cash flow is more attractive to investors so if you have an investment and it's spitting off a ton of cash flow, you're going to have a line of investors out the door. Cash flow is predictive, it's future-oriented, while net worth is retroactive and it's past-oriented. Cash flow cushions you and allows you to pursue other opportunities. And also, if you have cash flow outside of your main income, it provides you peace of mind, stability, and security. Assets that have a lot of cash flow are very valuable. And again, as we mentioned, net worth is also very subjective. Let's talk about diversifying your income. So there's earned income, portfolio income, and passive income. So earned income is your W-2, your 1099, typical income. Eventually, you want to invest that into stocks, bonds, other investments. That's portfolio income. Eventually, you want to get into passive income as things like a real estate or other businesses. So let's talk about why high-income earners use the eight forces real estate. Number one, it's appreciation. The property goes up in value. Number two is cash flow, right? It produces a monthly rental income. Then there's depreciation and rapid depreciation. You can use either one where in, or you can depreciate parts of the asset over 27 years or you can do rapid in, in a shorter amount of time. But essentially, this shows up as a paper loss on your tax returns that can u- be used to offset other passive income. Now, if you earn rep status, real estate professional status, you can use these passive losses to offset active income. Um, And then once initiated, this can be automated. A lot of times, even in active investments, if once you stabilize it, you can put a property management company in there and you can just set it and forget it. The government encourages you to do more real estate with debt strategies and tax strategies. Leverage, right? 20 cents to 30 cents on the dollar can allow you to control the whole dollar or $20,000 allows you to control a $100,000 property set another way. And then scale of diversification. If you do the right asset class, such as, you know, duplexes, quads, small multifamily, large multifamily, 
hotels, other asset classes, self-storage, you can really, you know, create a, a huge pool of assets that can really bolster your net worth and cash flow. All right, guys. I've talked a lot about money. I've talked a lot about cash flow, about wealth, about the mindset in order to achieve it. But one of the critical to- topics is time. If you have the wealth of time and you invest that time into knowledge, experience, and activities to create wealth, then you'll be successful. Many people are under the mantra that they don't have time. And so let's discuss that. So let's say that there's 160 hours in a week. Let's figure out how most people spend the time. Perhaps you're going to sleep, right? So you need sleep. So let's give you full eight hours for the week. That's 56 hours. Let's say you need to work. Most people work 40, 50 hours a week. So let's just assume it's a 40-hour work week. If you work 40 hours, that's 40 uh, in addition to the 56. Then there's family time, right? So let's assume family time is shuttling the kids around to practices or elder care, whatever you have going on. That's just hanging out, playing board games, doing whatever you want with kids, with family, homework, all of it. Four hours a day times seven days, that's 28 hours. Then you throw in, you know, every day, three hours of eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, your personal care, all of it, taking a shower. Okay. That's 21 hours. Then I'll even give you an hour of Netflix a day. Okay. That leaves 16 hours you can devote to a a project that can really change the fabric of your life. You can become a tycoon. You can become a mogul. You can, you can achieve one, two, three extra uh, sources of income or cash flow for yourself. You can really make things happen. So it's really about utilizing the time you have in the highest and best possible way. This is a tool that I've used throughout my life to really figure out what's important, what's not, and eventually what to do with things that are on my schedule that are not serving me. This came from our former president, Eisenhower. People said he was one of the most um, productive men and in his in the office and was really on point. And this is really how he was able to put everything into four quadrants and help decide what he needs to do. So first, there's t- the two main important quadrants are non-urgent and important and urgent and important, right? So when things are urgent and important, these are things that are crises. These are things that have just come up that are a lot of times are not in our control. Sometimes are in our control. And when you procrastinate on things that are not urgent, but important, they eventually become urgent and important, right? So the way to take care of all this is to reduce this quadrant by dealing with things upstream, by trying to make things more not urgent, by future planning, strategic thinking, initiative, and spending time there. And that will reduce the urgent and important. Next is all these that tasks that are urgent, but they're not going to move the needle on your core activities of life. They're not important. So you want to get other people, like if you don't mow the grass, your house is going to look unkempt and people are going to complain and you know things will eventually happen. And But you don't necessarily love cutting the grass. Hence, you want to delegate that out, right? So this is where you empower your team, but you assign tasks in this quadrant, enables your team to do independent decision-making, right? So urgent and non-important are things you delegate. 
Then there's things on your plate that don't really serve you, that are not aligned with your goals. You don't really enjoy them. Um, they're almost like an obligation or an old habit that never was cleaned up. So these are things that you need to eliminate, right? You need to declutter. You need to eliminate tasks that don't align with your company's mission goals, your personal mission or goals, and you learn to say no. One of the most powerful things an entrepreneur, a wealthy physician, a person who has time freedom does is the power to say no. When you say no, you give space for things that are truly valuable and important. All right, law three, how do you prevent overwhelm? And I'll be honest, I'm trying to be super productive in my life and many times I overschedule, right? And instead of trying to do three things in that hour, I maybe get one thing done. Instead, I should be using the law of three. This is how to prevent overwhelm, right? I should assume it will take three times the amount of time to finish a task, and this will prevent you from overscheduling. It's also guarantee you have completions and quick wins, right? So let's say you have to read 10 pages of a book, and normally that you can do it in an hour. Give yourself an hour and a half. Give yourself two hours, three hours, right? That way, even if you get distracted, you get pulled away, you come back to it, you can get it done. And this will also force you to just put on your calendar only the most important things and have enough adequate time to actually get those done. It's 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 like doing tasks that are worth a dollar instead of tasks that are worth a penny. Penny tasks are usually easier to get done and doesn't really take too much brain to do them. But that task can take a dollar to do, that takes a lot more energy and time. And you have to really think about it and be intentional. Another strategy that I found very helpful is what I call the ultradian rhythm. So many times, um, you know, we work in certain time intervals, but we don't know what the optimum time interval is. So in neuroscience and high performance um, studies, they've really done this and done the research and especially flow state to where if you get yourself into a flow state using the flow state triggers, you can get into this optimal performance rhythm where 30 minutes, 60 minutes, up to 90 minutes, you're in boom, really good flow state. And then you need a time to heal, to relax, to decompress, perhaps meditation, perhaps yoga, perhaps working out, doing some jump rope, go get a healthy snack, drink some water, meditate, breath work, and then boom, you go for another 90-minute interval. If you can do two, perhaps even three 90-minute intervals with a 20-minute break, you're going to be so productive in your day. So consider using the ultradian rhythm as opposed to the circadian rhythm, which is more about, you know, day-night cycles and sun exposure and things like that. All right. There are seven power slots in your schedule. And if you have these scheduled and do these activities in those slots, you will have, you know, a perfect work week and you will crush, you know, your goals without question. So, 25-minute weekly morning slot in the morning where you wake up and what we do is called magic time or flow, <laughs> flow time or deep work time. This is where you do the most important activity the first thing in the morning. And some days you don't feel like it, some days you do, but if you get this, this into a habit, you will, you know, you can write a novel in, in like four or five months because every day you're doing like one page, two page, three pages, right? This is how... Very busy people in the world get things done regardless. 
Next slot is a 90-minute power session on Saturdays. If you get up before the family gets up and do these things before your obligations and do a slot toward your major goal in that month or that quarter or that year, it, and and you don't feel guilty because it's before the family gets up, as soon as you get it done, boom, the whole Saturday is yours to devote to family, friends, hobbies, passions, pursuits. And then finally, a 50-minute Sunday morning routine where you review the past week, figure out what worked, what didn't, what did you get done, what did you not get done, what, what did you learn, and how can you improve for the following week, and then schedule your following week out in your calendar. And as a bonus, if you can use five minutes at the end of your workday before you transition to family time from your work time, and you sort of do a brain dump of everything that's in your head floating around, you're going to have peace of mind in your evenings. Then there is the most important thing to be in high performance is to get high performance sleep. And so if you follow this strategy, you can really optimize your sleep schedule. So what I do is 10 hours before bed, I stop all caffeine. Three hours before bed, no food or alcohol. Two hours before bed, no more work. So close everything down. One hour before bed, no technology or blue lights. And zero is the number of times I press snooze, right? Are you going to live this every single day of your life? No, but the more you can adhere to it, the 10-3-2-1-0 formula, the more likely you're going to have high performance sleep. All right, guys. We went through a lot of information, but hopefully you can see how adopting some of these practices, having some of this mindset, and really thinking about where you want to go and reverse engineering your financial freedom will help you get there. This will separate you from the herd and allow you to really be a top performer in your field. And this is also how you can really become that medical millionaire we talked about. So one of my mentors, Craig Ballantyne, says success loves speed. I love that. So get out of analysis process and start implementing some of these categories and strategies today. And as a bonus, What's next? I wanted to give you as a bonus the five levels of investors. Level one investor is you're a novice. You don't know what you don't know, and you're starting to get the process started. Perhaps this is a, a person who's in medical school or a resident or a first year attending, and they don't even save money, and they're starting to think about saving and starting to get interested in finance. Level two is your basic investor. They save some money and maybe they're starting to think about where to put it. Maybe they've been forced to have a 401k from their hospital or their private practice. Level three, you're an amateur, okay? So this is where I would say 80% of the United States is. You know that it's you have a stock account, you can buy Apple stock, when you, when you hear it in the news, you know about Tesla and you know some few names, most of your money's in mutual funds managed by somebody else. And you're hoping and praying that one day all these investments that are randomly being done by some random people who don't necessarily have the most expertise will eventually yield a retirement that will keep you protected. Then there's level four. This is where you actually become a professional investor. You you trade pretty consistently. You look at charts. You're a technical trader or a fundamental trader. And you know how to manage your money. You are into estates, trust. 
you figure out your retirement accounts, you have insurance, you have a wills, you have deeds, you're a medical power of attorney, and you really are well-rounded, and sometimes you even invest with others in things like syndications. If you guys can get to level four, that is very powerful, and that will, I would say, almost essentially guarantee your success. Then there's one more, level five capitalist. This is where you eventually learn enough about finances that you start creating your own financial instruments. This is where you you know, become a business owner and other people invest in your business. This is where you have uh, a website that you know uh, someone wants to invest in or you have a real estate property that is attracting other investors. You work with SEC because you're doing syndications. You become a professional trader, right? And you manage other people's money. But being a level five capitalist, obviously it's the hardest road to get to, but if you can get there, this is where all the riches, the wealth, the time freedom, the wealth freedom, the geographic freedom, everything lives at that level five capitalist level. Level four is phenomenal. And very few people can get there. Level five is is a rare breed as well. So my goal for you guys is hit one of those two levels and you'll hit all your goals. And guys, this is what I, I, I achieved with my company, uh, Viking Capital. We are a level five capitalist and um, it was definitely a long journey, but it was worth the climb. So I hope this was helpful. Hope you guys learned. If you guys need anything, reach out to us. We're always here to help. Drop in the comments below which one of these lessons that you thought was the most helpful. Uh, put in the comments below what, what more you want me to talk about in my next video. And subscribe to the channel, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Limitless MD. If you found value from this episode, I encourage you to share this episode with a friend and let me know by leaving a review. For more information, make sure you check out the links in the show notes below or simply visit vikramraya.com. Until next time, be phenomenal.